I'm just saying that that's how you could phrase it. <laughs> I wasn't talking. I wasn't talking to peasants. I was talking to right. real adults who wear pants for their ice cream. <laughs> exactly. No one understands that story. That's fine. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I am so fast you wouldn't even believe. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I'm just stunned Matt didn't refer to himself as a talent again this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving Joey a reprieve this week. I don't want to wear out my welcome. That's well, fair. Well, we're not wearing out that joke anymore, I guess. <laughs> Four episodes in a row. It's like Valduk. You just can't stop mentioning it. I love it. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All of these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Fellas, what's our topic this week? Commander 2018. That is right. We are here to review some of the new cards from Commander 2018. Because I'm not sure if you've seen, but some of these new cards are bonkers cool. So we want to talk about those and maybe see if we can predict what the data might be around all of these new commanders. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Sounds good. You don't sound very excited, Joey, but... You should I, be. Here, here's the thing. I actually am really excited about this set. Like, we didn't get a ton of really high-value reprints this time, but, oh, man, I think this is the best batch of new commanders we've ever gotten. We've got three artifact guys. We've got three enchantment generals. We've got a Jund lands leader, a Jund politics spider that basically just makes everyone hit each other, which is awesome Jund flavor. We've got a Jund reanimator. We've got two different Esper top deck matters control things an esper zombies commander a racto sleeper agent a mono red war leader a simic sea creatures land mander and to top it off ninja tribal like that's just a really impressive roster so yes i I am actually very excited i think these new commanders look bonkers cool well you can tell you're excited because you just talk so fast that i could only understand every other word that you were saying (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good sign yeah no no i i think we all agree like this is a bunch of really cool commanders i think Probably just the new cards in general. In my personal opinion, all the new cards for Commander 18, like they're probably the best batch of new cards we've had from a Commander set. Just period. Yeah, for sure. I'm on board with that. Like the new cards are are amazing. I, I am. I have not seen a set this good for Commander just full stop in terms of new cards. Yeah, as Don Miner actually mentioned, he he's never seen a Commander set like this where he could picture himself building literally every single legendary card that came out from it. And I, I kind of have to agree with him. I don't know which one of these I want to build. I'm having decision paralysis because they all look so cool. So let's get started with the review. Dana, do you want to start us off by talking about the Is It Artifacts deck? Sahili the Gifted. She happens to lead that deck. Let us know what she does. Absolutely. Sahili the Gifted, two blue and red, so four CMC total for legendary Planeswalker Sahili. Plus one ability is create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. Uh, She has a second plus one ability. The next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast for each artifact you control as you cast it. And her minus seven for each artifact you control create a token that's a copy of that. 
those tokens gain haste, exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. And she comes into play with four loyalty. That's right. And of course, she can be your commander. But we all know by this point that we've got a whole new round of Planeswalker commanders for this set, which is also pretty exciting. What are your guys' first impressions of Sahili? Um, I think she, I mean, obviously this is the this is the artifact deck, but like that seems like the the artifact commander everyone's wanted and isn't. Yeah, that's just it. We've talked about Jorah Weatherlight Captain, who just draws you cards for each historic spell that you play, which generally tends to be artifacts. And that never really tickled my fancy, but Sahili looks pretty awesome, especially that second plus one ability. I mean, first of all, she's got two plus one abilities, and one of them creates a blocker for her that is even... Like, like I just, it's also an artifact, so it, it feeds into her next ability, which makes your stuff cheaper. Like, heck yeah, I'm going to play a Darksteel Forge for four mana instead of nine, and that seems really easy to do with Sahili, which is also just really cool. I'm, I'm really impressed by her, especially that ultimate. It's not necessarily game-ending, but it is really nice, and I kind of like that this year. We don't have, like, huge emblems as ultimates for these commanders, so even though Planeswalkers are usually looked at as being very scary and no one ever wants to let them ultimate so they become immediate targets. Sometimes, I don't know, it feels to me this year that these Planeswalkers don't have as backbreaking of ultimates, which makes them maybe a little less threatening looking. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Uh, no, I think that D- Joey hit the the nail on the head with Sahili. Like, the fact that she ticks up as a cost reducer is just wild. Like, And it's not even the next artifact spell, it's the next spell you cast. So you can do anything... Like, yeah, Darksteel Forge, you can do uh, Blightsteel Colossus, and you, you tick up, so you're increasing your loyalty, and you're still getting a cost reducer. Like, that, that's the part that just boggles my mind the most about Sahili. Yeah, you can use Sahili's Artistry, her signature spell, and you can reduce the cost on that one. It's really, really impressive. But this isn't the only blue-red artifacty commander that we've got in this set. We've also got two more. The next one is Brutaclad, the Telcor Engineer. This is a six-mana 4-4 four, for four, blue-red for a legendary artifact creature, Artificer. Right there, that's already kind of strange to me. I've never seen just a class like that instead of like a mirror Artificer or something like that. It is just, it's like having a legendary creature Shaman instead of a Snake Shaman or something like that. I don't know. Just a weird observation for me. In any case, Brutaclad. Got a really interesting ability here. First, creature tokens you control have haste. It's a pretty good start. It also says that at the beginning of combat on your turn, you create a 2-1 blue mirror artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control. If you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. There's a lot to unpack there, actually. He makes a dude, and then he turns all of your tokens into a copy of any one of your tokens, and it's not until the end of the turn. That lasts indefinitely. Forever. That's, that's really weird, but I love it. It's awesome. No, I, I was thinking as soon as you drop this guy, the next turn you play Clone Legion and just go to town. Right, exactly. You can even just a right of replication unkicked, just a regular one. You can make a copy of someone else's really awesome creature and then turn all of your clue tokens into copies of that creature. Like, holy wow, that's intense. Yeah, there's a whole lot of room with this commander for you to do kind of show off things, whether it's like turning those clue tokens into something disgusting. Like it's letting you, it's, it's got a lot of room in it for you to do something weird with obscure cards that's really, really powerful. Right. And especially with certain cards like uh, Sahili's Artistry, which can copy your artifacts. Like that sounds really awesome too. I'll make another copy of my Gilded Lotus with Sahili's Artistry and then Brutaclad will be like, okay, now all of my tokens are Gilded Lotuses. Gilded low tie. I'm not sure what the plural should be there, but it's, low T. 
Low T, gotcha. But yeah, I just think that's really inventive and frankly scary powerful, especially if you're turning them into huge creature tokens that all also have haste. Like this is pretty aggressive for blue red. Yeah, and also I, I like that Sahili works in the deck as well if you want to make Bruticlad your commander. Because in the past, they've sometimes had issues where, you know, if you steer into any one particular commander too much, the rest of them really don't work in the deck. And I feel like in this case, if you decide to make Bruticlad your commander, Sahili is going to be still a good card in that deck. Yeah, it creates more tokens, makes your artifacts cheaper, which includes Bruticlad since he is an artifact. Yeah. There's a whole lot to like there. But we've got one more Is It Artifact commander here. Matt, do you want to tell us about Thanos? So Thanos, Urza's Apprentice, is a human artificer for one blue, one red. He's a 1-3 with haste uh, and reads, pay one blue, one red, tap, copy target, ar- copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an artifact source. You may choose new, co- new targets for the copy. And excuse me for tripping all over my tongue. <laughs> That's just fine. It's a pretty trippy ability, to be honest. Copying stuff, it's, it's like a Stryonic Resonator, only better. It's like a Rings of Brighthearth only better it's in your command zone and you can copy either triggered or activated abilities you can't copy mana abilities but that's okay you can do a whole bunch of stuff like dana where would you go with Thanos? because again decision paralysis for me i don't even know where to start it's just so many neat options yeah i kind of felt the same way like i really i looked at the commander and i was like okay there's there's things here but i don't know what they are without really digging deep into artifact stuff but I guarantee you there are people that have been waiting for this ability on a body and they know exactly what they want to do with it. I'm just not one of them. Yeah, I don't possess the wherewithal to know precisely how Thanos combos out with a bunch of artifacts, but I can guarantee that he does somewhere. There's absolutely combo engines that are just waiting to be unleashed. And I just don't know what they are. You guys know it's bad when the most creative thing I've done in blue-red is Kiki-Jiki and Splinter Twin and all those combos. And I even thought at least of Master Transmuter and copying that ability, but you know... Well, That's I just, just me. Yeah, I just love this versatility is all. Like, I, I'm going to play Mirror Battlesphere, and then I'll copy the triggered ability of it creating a bunch of Mirror tokens. Like, that alone sounds bonkers cool to me. Yeah, he's just a blue-red version of Kirkesh from, I think it was M15. Gives you a little more color access, but, I mean, I think it's a very powerful ability. I think it'll be really cool. And like you guys said, there's just there's so many possibilities in this color combination with activated abilities. It's really hard to, to comprehend everything without actually digging down. And I think that's the thing, too, is there's so many different things going on with every different commander. Like, there's, what, 12 new commanders that everybody's having to process all at the one time. And it's going to take a while for everybody to unpack all of these. Yeah, One trick that I definitely do want to try if I build a Thanos deck is uh, the activation of Aetherflux Reservoir. Pay 50 life to deal 50 damage to someone. Tano's mm-hmm. duplicate the 50 damage because you don't have to pay another 50 life. That seems really cool. And that's a trick that I learned from the preview video for Tano's, which was by the Magic Man Sam over at the Ristic Studies channel. He had a really cool video previewing this card. So if y'all haven't seen that, I know preview season is over, but it's really inventive the way that he introduces Tano's Urza's Apprentice. Of I'm- these three artifact commanders, which one grabs your eye most, do you think? Which of these would you guys build? Well, now that you got me thinking, I... I- I was thinking about Paradox Engine and Thanos, and that just seems wild because you can untap and copy and untap and copy and untap. So he kind of almost goes infinite if you have the right setup with Paradox Engine. So Wait, now you're, that you're telling me that Paradox Engine is a combo piece, this is this is baffling to me. <laughs> Breaking news at eleven, guys. <laughs> so are you saying that Thanos is probably the commander you'd pick of these three? Actually, Bruticlad, like I don't like blue red. I don't play it very often. 
it's just not my style, but Brutaclad got me really excited because it said tokens and that's something very green white of him to do. But yeah, just look, copying everything. And like you said, Joey, the tokens don't change back at the end of turn and it's all tokens like what Dana said. So you can have all your clue tokens, you can have all your treasure tokens. And we just got done with some a couple sets that are all about making tokens from investigating and from you know creating treasures and all that kind of fun stuff. So those tokens turn into Blightsteel Colossi, Colossus C, whatever. <laughs> and it turns into those forever. So like I think Brutaclad immediately, like even one of my buddies who he only plays Abzan, like that's just his stuff. It's black green. He's very much a Joey. He loves his graveyard. Gotta love that black green. But he even saw Brutaclad and was like, oh, this is so cool. So I, I think, think Brutaclad yeah. gets my vote. I think I'm on board with you. I just thought of, uh, what's the card? Spell Swindle. The five mana counter spell make treasure equal to that spell's oh. mana cost. That's a oh. ton of tokens for Brutaclad to take advantage of. I'm probably oh. on board with you there. Brutaclad looks the most exciting to me. Dana, what about you? Oh, I just really like how all three of them kind of hit the, the Vorthos beats. I mean, Sahili is really kind of very Timmy friendly. She's very straight ahead. There's a lot of value there. It's very easy to see your lines of play. It's kind of your first foray into building an artifact deck. She's going to work really well for that. You kind of have over in the Brutaclad deck, you know, if you want to show off and do and do like weird zany things, that's a deck that kind of lets you do that and play with it. And Tuanos feels very spiky. When you want to do that like crazy combo, hardcore win thing, Tuanos lends himself to making that as well i think that's really really impressive that they made these three commanders that all kind of hit different demographics in terms of what people want to do with these decks so which demographic do you fall into my my um generally speaking honestly like as someone who doesn't play artifact decks i i like baby's first artifact deck with sahili i kind of like it, it it's <laughs> kind of the training wheels version of that and as someone who doesn't really play much is it and doesn't have a ton of experience with those kind of like artifact synergies i like that she kind of would be your gateway in to learning how to do those things nice i like it a lot but we do have a couple of other commanders that we got to get through. So let's move on now to the Bont deck, which we're nicknaming kind of the Bont Chantress because there's so many enchantments going on here. Matt, we know that you love green-white and hopefully you love green-white-blue. So how about you tell us about Estrid the Masked? I do love green-white and blue altogether, just my favorites. So Estrid the Masked is a planeswalker for one green-white-blue, comes in with three loyalty counters, has a plus two ability. Untap each enchanted permanent you control. So it has a minus one ability of create a white R enchantment token named mask attached to another target permanent. The token has enchant permanent and token armor. And then a minus seven ability, the ultimate, which is uh, put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard. Return all non R enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then do the same for aura cards. And Esther the, the mast can be your commander. Yeah, this seems really cool. I really dig that middle ability, putting totem armor masks onto any permanent you control. Like, that seems really, really nice. And it, and it feels very Bont, especially because they love championing one of their particular permanents. Plus, the totem armor masks that you put on any permanent, including your lands, then she can plus two and untap all of your enchanted permanents, which is mana ramp as well. Like, there's just a whole lot of moving pieces here, but I'm digging all of them. Yeah, like the, the plus two ability is just wild because you have all the stuff like Weirding Wood and Market Festival that make your lands tap for multiple mana. So you can tap for two or three mana, however much you want to do. Then you untap them and then you make, you know, six mana or however much. Like that's the crazy part is you can ramp crazy fast with Estrid out. 
Yeah, and Estrid reaches seven loyalty for that ultimate ability really quickly. She comes down at three, moves up to five with a plus two, moves up to seven on the next turn. Like, she's really quick within that ulting range, which is really nice because then she'll pull a whole bunch more enchantments out of your graveyard. Yeah, and, and because she has that, that mill seven stapled onto it, you don't have to worry about hitting on nothing in the yard. Like, she puts stuff in the yard for you to then use with that ult. Yeah, mm -hmm. really neat. It's like a, a replenish on your commander. Like, sign me up. That right, seems yeah. really awesome. And you know me. I do love me some graveyard, so I love seeing that one. But there's no black for you, Joey. I, I, I will make do. In, in any color combination, okay. I can always find ways to reanimate. That's, that's my goal in life. That's fair. Let's move on now to one of the other commanders in the set, Kestia the Cultivator. Dana, do you want to tell us about Kestia? Kestia the Cultivator is same CMC as Estrid, one and bond, so four mana total, for a legendary enchantment creature, Nymph. So we're clearly talking about Theros here. Heck yeah, um, we are. She is bestow for three and bond, so six mana total. And what bestow does, for those that don't recall from Theros, if you cast this card for its bestow cost, it's an aura spell with enchant creature. It becomes a creature again if it's not attached to a creature. So if whatever you attach it to dies, it turns back into Kestia the creature. She says, enchanted creature gains plus four, plus four. And whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. And she's a four, four. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of value happening here, too. Another commander that definitely rewards us for playing a lot of auras because she'll draw you a bunch of cards for every either enchantment creature, which includes yourself, or enchanted creature that you have. So one of the drawbacks about auras is that if you put something, put an aura onto one of your guys and then that creature dies, you've sort of two-for-one yourself because now your aura is gone too. But she replaces all of those cards, which makes her really appealing. She also fills in that kind of dry spot you sometimes hit in an enchantress deck where if you don't have an aura in hand, you have no way to draw additional cards because of the way she works where... When an enchantment creature attacks or an enchanted creature attacks, you kind of have baked in additional card draw right on her out of your command zone. So you put her into play, swing away, and you get those cards back to hand um, just by virtue of an enchantment creature or an enchanted creature attacking, which will then hopefully be auras or enchantments that you can cast to draw more cards off the enchantresses you probably have in play. It's, it's really a nice kind of safety blanket there because having played an enchantress deck, you do sometimes hit those dry spots where... You're just not drawing an enchantment, and I can't, you can't get your engine going. This kind of spackles over that. Yeah, that's really nice. The cool part that it also says is uh, whenever an enchantment creature you control attacks, so it, like just the interaction with like Course of Crew Fix or like even the, the small ones from all the Theros blocks like uh, Nyxborn, Shieldmate, and all those kind of, you know, the enchantment creatures that, you know, everybody was talking about for a while. You can make a tribal deck out of those almost and, you know, make it like an actual tribal deck, so... Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that sounds pretty exciting. If you lay out a bunch of those little tiny guys, or if you enchant them onto your stuff, which also gives you sort of a, a weird type of wrath insurance in case someone does get rid of all of the creatures, then you just are left with a bunch of unbestowed enchantment creatures, and you slap Kestia back into play, and you're, there goes your engine again. That seems pretty neat. Yeah, you probably draw more cards that way. <laughs> That's true. A couple of quick notes about Kestia, though. If she's bestowed and she's enchanting a creature, that creature doesn't get her commander damage, which is kind of important, which might, I don't know, to my mind, it makes her slightly awkward because I'm not sure whether I'd want to bestow her onto a creature or I would just want her to be my commander doing commander damage. And additionally, the bestow cost is an alternative cost, which means it is subject to commander tax. So you can't, you know, avoid that by playing the bestow even then though 
like there's a lot of value that's happening here. I'm I'm kind of afraid of her. Like I feel like the first time I see her in play, she's going to come down and then the person who played her is about to draw like four cards. Yeah, I still think it's pretty cool cuz all all these commanders are pretty pretty you know compelling to make kind of a boggles type deck. You know, whether it's Estrid that just slaps everything on your your boggle commander or creature or whatever you want to say or or Kestia being your your boggle and by boggle I mean it's it's a modern deck. Where they play, you know, slippery boggle or a, a glade cover scout, just a little hexproof creature. But then all all that deck does is just slap a bunch of you know cheap auras and draw a bunch of cheap or draw a bunch of cards with uh, core spirit dancer. That's a whole modern deck, and like this, you know, these commanders right here, especially the next commander we're going to talk about, like those guys, they're super super good in that type of strategy. Yeah. Speaking of that next commander, let's move on to Tuvasa the Sunlit. This is a three mana bond commander. It's a one one, but don't let that deceive you. It's a legendary creature, Merfolk Shaman, and it gets plus one plus one for each enchantment you control. So in this deck, it is not going to stay a one one for very long. Even better, whenever you cast your first enchantment spell, Tuvasa draws you a card. That's awesome. Note, it's a little different than other enchantress things that we've seen, like Mesa Enchantress or Verduran Enchantress or Argothian Enchantress or Enchantress's Presence. Dear Lord, there's so many enchantress cards that draw you cards every time you play enchantments. But Tufasa is only for the first enchantment that you play each turn. I kind of like that, though, because if it was a little bit like Joyra, where you draw a card for everyone that you play, you would be incentivized to just play a bunch of really tiny enchantments. And instead, Tufasa gives you the flexibility to play bigger and exciting enchantments which I, I really appreciate. I want to play Sigil of the Empty Throne, even though it's five mana, because it seems bomb here. Yeah, um, I mean, everything about this, three mana, like, you look at the first two commanders, like, oh man, they're, you know, nice aggressive costs at four mana. Tavasa is only three, and very often she's going to come into play just out of the box as like a four, four or five, five or something, just because you've began your turns by like putting down, you know, a wild growth and dropping a carpet of flowers or whatever. She's going to come out of the box as just the first time you cast her or something big and she's going to get huge and you're going to draw cards while you make her huge. That's crazy. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like I've seen sometimes enchantress decks, they pile up a huge wall of defense with, you know, propaganda and ghostly prison and sphere of safety effects, but they don't necessarily have a way to, you know, alpha strike and win the game. Tuvasa is precisely that. If you've got a bunch of your enchantments in play, Rogue's Passage Tuvasa straight into the red zone and people will be hurting. This seems like an excellent commander. And I'm going to go right out the gate and say that this is definitely my favorite from this deck. Mm. I think she's my favorite too, but um, I, I kind of touched on this with the with the artifact deck, but it's it's doubly true here. I think you want all three of these in the deck, whichever, whichever deck you make, whether it's Tuvasa, Kestia, or Estrid, you probably want the other two cards in the deck as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't deny that. And that's amazing. Like, that's that's something they've absolutely never managed to pull off before. Oh, hey, and this reminds me, our preview card was Winds of Wrath, which we showed off on the last episode. But Dana, on your other podcast, CMDR Central, your preview card also came from this deck, and it was Bruna Light of Alabaster. It was indeed. Which we talked about, we talked about that card at length as being the top you know, the top commander for our preview card. So I'm impressed that you managed to say to so uh, tight lipped about that. Cause that must've been really funny for you. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> that was a tough thing to uh, be quiet about. Just like, Ooh, yeah. winds of wrath is really good with Bruna. And you're like, you have no idea. That's my <laughs> card. <laughs> yeah. Dana secretly biting his thumb, trying to keep his mouth shut. And just no, 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 <laughs> can't do it. Matt, do you have a favorite bont chantress commander? Ah, uh, well, I, 
I've been waiting a long time. Like I've been trying to build Bant enchantments and it's always been like Derevi just because I just default to a generic good enchantress commander, I guess, or Bant commander. Estrid really intrigues me. I really, really like Estrid. Tuvasa just, I love turning creatures sideways and Tuvasa does that really well though. So it might be Tuvasa. Do you mean Kestiga or Tuvasa? Tuvasa. Turning oh, creatures side, yeah. It, it goes sideways so big, and it's yeah. huge. Yeah, gotcha. It, yeah, gotcha. it gets so huge so fast. Um, it might be a tie between Estrid and Tuvasa. Kestia, a little expensive for me. They're all good though. Like th- <laughs> th- this is, it, yeah, they're all they're all fantastic. I've been waiting a long time for like uh, an enchantress type commander for this, and yeah, uh, I think Tuvasa might get the nod over Estrid for me. But they're all great. Like I just I can't pick. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, you almost want to build three different enchantment decks because they're all so exciting. Like, ah, this, this, these new cards, they really get me. But let's move on now to the Esper deck. This one's a little weird. We've got a pretty strange theme. The way that I would, you know, say it really quickly is just that it's Esper Miracles. But really what it is is that it's a top-of-the-deck matters theme to this entire deck where you're going to be constantly manipulating whatever's on top of your library with cards like brainstorm or crystal ball and then you'll be able to get some rewards out of that with your other things such as with miracle cards which cost way cheaper if you draw them for the first card that turn so there's a lot of really cool stuff happening here the leader for this deck right out the gate is Aminatu the Fate Shifter. This is also a three mana commander. It's a planeswalker with three loyalty. Definitely really cool. It's first ability, plus one, draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your library. Pretty neat. Definitely helps you set up whatever it is that you want to miracle or something like that. Minus two, exile another target permanent you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. And minus six, choose left or right. That's an interesting first sentence. Choose left or right, each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than Aminatu the Fate Shifter, controlled by the next player in the chosen direction. Weird, but I totally love this guy. Well, this girl. It's a very little girl, drawn by Sid McKinnon, and it's creepy and going to give you nightmares, but I totally love her. The ghost of JonBenet Ramsey. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon? <laughs> it's what? the joke's older than Joey. Hey. <laughs> What do you guys think of Aminatu? I think it's a bit's the best Planeswalker art maybe I've seen. It's a fantastic card. I don't love the ult, but I don't think it matters because those first two, that plus one and the minus one, are so value and probably lend themselves to combo, particularly the minus one. So I think it's a great card. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I don't care what the ult does. I don't care if the ult's annoying. It's just solid. To combo, I'm interested to hear you say that. When I see her, she really strikes me as control. So how do you mean a combo? I just assume there's some manner of blink combo a la Sihili and Felidar. Is it got, was a guardian? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Now I'm following. And that is kind of neat, actually. She isn't necessarily just, you know, oh, I'm going to control the top of my deck, but she's got like three solid blinks in her if you minus one, minus one, minus one. Like an Esper blink commander is also available to us now, which is kind of neat. I do really like the interplay with her minus six shifting all other stuff. And if you get rid of any of your own things, the minus one can retrieve the stuff that you shifted away back to your side of the field. I think that's also pretty neat. And you're in the colors for blink too. So you have access to additional blink spells just by virtue of being an Esper, which can also then abuse that blink um, ability off the minus six to get all your stuff back. 
Right. One of my first articles for EDHREC was a commander showdown between Rune of the Hidden Realm, who blinks creatures, and Brago King Eternal, who blinks anything. And one of the things that it really comes down to is that if you like blinking anything, including like your artifacts to untap them or your enchantments to get other effects, then Brago's definitely really great for you. But if you want creatures, green's got a lot of really good value for enter the battlefield effects that you want to blink. And Aminatu's kind of got some of the same stuff going on. Like, I don't know about you, but I'd be really excited to play a Grave Titan and then immediately blink my Grave Titan. There's some great effects in black that we now have access to to blink. Like uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel is another great example. Like there's a lot of cool stuff going on with her here. So you could control the board or you could do a blink deck and or both. Like I like this flexibility. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit by saying Grave Titan. Like you can flicker like Diluvian Primordial or Sepulchral Primordial. Ooh. And that's, that's where your value is going to come from. Like... Don't limit yourself to just some 2-2 zombies. Like, just steal everybody's stuff. Ooh, those are graveyard cards, which means you're speaking my language. I love it. I I know my audience. (laughs) Speaking of graveyards, we've got another kind of weird commando that interacts with the graveyard that is also available to us in this Esper deck. Dana, will you tell us about Varina the Lich Queen? Varina the Lich Queen is four mana, one and Esper. So four total for legendary creature Zombie Wizard. And she says, whenever you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards, then discard that many cards. You gain that much life. She has an activated ability for two mana that is not a tap ability. So for every two you spend, you can reuse the ability. Exile two cards from your graveyard. Create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token. And she's, she's a 4-4 four, four four. as well. Yeah. yeah, that's really weird. She's got some especially bizarre art. She looks almost like she was from the movie Tron or something, but it's I don't I don't know how to evaluate this. I'm I'm a necromancer, but she's like exiling my my stuff from my graveyard, which I'm a little hesitant about. But she's making zombies, and I'm like, okay, I'm listening. I like zombies. She is the only zombie in this deck, and she doesn't necessarily do a whole lot with that top of the deck matters theme, but she's definitely interesting and kind of scary. Yeah, and she's presumably like it, it doesn't say two creatures either. It's like exile two cards, so. Fairly often, it's going to be that, you know, there's a land card in there you're going to be getting rid of or that, you know, sign in blood that you use to draw a couple extra cards with. So you're going to be getting rid of things that you probably don't need and have no plans to reuse. And the zombies you put in there, you're just going to, you know, reanimate, whether it's Gravecrawler or something like that. So I like her a lot. She reminds me a little bit of Sultai Sadisi, who makes zombies when you mill. Mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I like that, that she's Esper too. That's weird. Like that's not, that's not the color you associate with zombies outside of what we got in um, Amaket. It's unique. Um, it's going to be a zombie deck different than anyone else's zombie deck. I am a big fan of, of hers. And I think this might be the deck I build. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. In this, in this deck with Verena, like, your card quality is going to be through the roof because you're looting for each zombie that attacks. Like if you have, you know, four or five zombies, you're getting four or five new cards every turn and you're just churning through your deck pretty quick. Call me crazy. Well, Henry will call me crazy, our former editor for EDHREC.com, but uh, it's a pretty good lab man deck. Just saying. <laughs> sure, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff in in white um, or in those colors as well, whether it's, you know, things like levitation or intimidation where there's a lot of ways where you can make those zombies get through really, really easily to proc more draw and more discard to make more zombies to continuously kind of doing that thing. I I like commanders that kind of get that ball rolling downhill where once it starts going, it's tough to stop. And I think she lends herself to that. 
That's a really good point. And I'm going to call it right now. Verena's top signature card is going to be Alhammerat's Archive. Because every time you attack, you'll draw that many yeah. cards times two and then discard some cards. And you gain that much life, which means you'll gain that much life times two. Like, that's some sick value right there. Some pretty good tech, Joey. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> good call. Good call. All right. We've got one more commander in this Esper deck that's pretty interesting in these Esper colors. She's kind of my personal favorite. So, Matt, I'm going to let you take it away and tell us about Yannette Cryptic Sovereign. So Yannette Cryptic Sovereign is two and Esper colors, so white, blue, black. Uh, for three, five legendary Sphinx with Flying Vigilance and Menace. Uh, and then it also reads, whenever Yannette Cryptic Sovereign attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If that card's converted mana cost is odd, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Otherwise, draw a card. So. How odd. You, you can't even. <laughs> you really can't even. And hey, speaking of the can't even card Void Winner, that seems like an excellent card to play for free when you attack with Yannette. So even. Um, I, I think this is a really great card as well. Yeah, it's a weird, again, it's kind of like all three of these cards in this deck. This is like Esper, Esper top deck, but it's also Esper weird design. And this continues that trend going where it's an oddball card that's kind of not like anything else out there right now, particularly in these colors. I am a fan of this as well. Yeah, Dean, Dean Goody uh, and I, we, we had a little banter when he came on the podcast about Brainstorm. This is one of the few commanders where Brainstorm is okay in Commander, just because you get to manipulate that top deck and set up some crazy plays. Brainstorm is fine in some other decks, too. Matt's point is simply that you should <laughs> make sure that you know how to manipulate your deck with things like Fitchlands to let you shuffle away the cards you don't yes. need. But yes. yes, Yannette is a hardcore Brainstorm gal. That is definitely for sure. And man, I'm excited to try her out. I would even let people play Brainstorm underneath an Isochron Scepter, and it would still be okay even with Yannette. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she's very odd, which is exactly the point of her. And I do like that too. Like she's a 3-5 and she costs 5 and she's got three different weird abilities. And like I think even the number of words in her text box are also odd. Like everything about her is just really, really cool. She's very puzzling, which is perfect because she's a Sphinx. Dana, I know that you have a Sphinx tribal deck. Would you ever change your blue-white Sphinx tribal deck to the Esper Sphinx tribal or no? I thought about it, and I'm still maybe kind of thinking about it. I don't know if it gives me anything that I don't already kind of have. There's a couple of really good Esper Sphinxes, but they're also like, you know, 14 drops or whatever it is. And I think the things you probably want to do to take advantage of her ability would cut into anything you would do with Sphinx Tribal. So I don't know if that really works with her that well. Because um, I think what you want to do is basically kind of play her like Nephalia, or excuse me, like... Um, Nathalia Scourge, what's her name? I've just forgotten it. Jaleva? Jaleva. I think you kind of want to play it a little bit like Jaleva, where you're going to be casting, you know, really busted spells off the top of your library. And I think even if you're not doing that, people are going to assume you are. <laughs> right. So that you might as well sense. do it if everyone's going to treat you like you're going to be, you know, trying to cast expropriate off the top of your library. If people are going to assume you're doing that and attacking accordingly, maybe you have to do that. And off the top of my head, a lot of the Sphinxes that I can think of are actually even converted mana costs, like Consecrated Sphinx or Unesh. So they might not necessarily benefit from Yannette's, right, you know, yeah. if your converted mana cost is odd, I get you for free ability. Yeah, I went through that as well. Um, I, you know, I, I made a list in a text document. I have it here somewhere. I'm not going to dig it out. But yeah, there's, there was quite a few really good ones, too, that were in the, the even mana cost. And, the, you know, Sphinxes don't get very cheap to cast. Four is about as cheap as it gets. And that means you eliminate the four drops as well. So... I don't know if it's going to be great for that, but I am a fan of the card nonetheless. 
Right. I'm pretty interested in Yanet. I think what I'm actually going to be doing is trading a bunch of the stuff from my Yidris deck over into a Yanet deck, because in my Yidris deck, to cascade into really awesome value, I tend to play a bunch of cards that manipulate the top of my library anyway to get really big free spells. But Yanet lets me do that too. And Yidris, well, you know, I've gotten a little tired of him, especially because his particular style of play is that either I operate at zero miles per hour or 100 miles per hour, which is, you know, when I stumble, I stumble hard. Whereas Yannette seems like it's pretty good consistent value, even if I stumble a little bit. So I'm really excited to try her out more particularly. But yeah, this Esper deck has some really crazy looking commanders, and I'm really happy with the whole bunch. Yeah, they're all definitely unique. That's that's the cool part about it. Let's move now to the Jund lands deck, which is to say it's sort of a, it's not necessarily as much a landfall deck as it is a Jund, Jundfall deck. So Matt, would you like to tell us about Lord Windgrace? So Lord Windgrace is a planeswalker for two and Jund colors. That's black, red, green. Uh, starts with five loyalty, has a plus two ability. It says discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card was discarded this way, draw an additional card. A minus three ability, return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then minus 11 for the ultimate, which is destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with Forest Walk. And Lord Windgrace can be your commander. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was just admiring how much I love this card. Yeah, this is a card people have been waiting for for a long time as well. Um, Lore-wise, for sure, this is one everybody, everybody wanted to be the Jun commander. Yeah, I, I'm not the Vorthos that you guys are, so I trust you both. But I've just been looking for a place to put my Gitrog monster and my Omnath and my Titania, and Windgrace is exactly that. This is this is everything that I want. And even though the ultimate doesn't necessarily do you know a whole lot with actual lands, what it does do is destroy six target non-land permanents that my opponents control. That's fantastic. I would love to cast six Maelstrom Pulses. Like, that's just... Oh, that's beautiful. Like, that, I just love that. I think in the design process, they had to keep in mind, like, you're, you're in green, so your color fixing and your ramp is going to be through the roof. You also have doubling seasons, so they couldn't make it so that, you know, when Wind Grace comes down, you can ultimate right away, because that means you're doing it probably in, like, turn four or so. And destroying six permanents on turn four is pretty crazy. So, yeah, <laughs> they probably be a little smarter about this one. Right, and doubling season totally works well with a bunch of the other landfall effects that you get as well, because Avenger of Zendikar will be making you tons of plants, and Rampaging Balos will be making you tons of beasts, and Titania will be making you a ton of elementals, and so will Omneth. And, I mean, even some of the new cards that we've got in the deck as well, there's a, a new dragon that lays eggs whenever you play a land, and there's a another guy who makes plants whenever your lands die. Like, there, there's so much happening here, and all you have to do is play lands in three good colors. I'm totally on board. Yeah, well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there a little bit. It's like, this is the first of these Planeswalker Commanders that's probably your backup plan. That isn't to say Lord Windgrace isn't great, but like a lot of the, the other other ones, it seems like that's going to be kind of what your deck revolves around. In this case, there's so many great landfall things in that, that deck that you can do that you're going to be drawing into and doing things. You're going to play Lord Windgrace when he's useful to do so. Your deck doesn't need him to do the thing it's doing. And that's a really nice luxury to have in a deck where you don't need your commander to do your thing. It's something you can use at your leisure when it's most beneficial. Yeah, he's he's got a very good like Jund Swiss Army knife feel to him. He does a little bit of everything. You know, he ultimates and you know has a stack of removal. He draws you know draws you some cards, filters a little bit. Like, yeah, he, he just kind of a little bit of everything. 
Yeah, he's got a really cool removal spell, but we'll get to that in a second. Now we've got to talk about the other two Jund commanders that we've got in this deck. The next one is Gyrus, Waker of Corpses. Matt, would you like to tell us about Gyrus? I'll tell you about Gyrus. So Gyrus, Waker of Corpses, is X and Jund colors. And it says, Gyrus, Waker of Corpses, enters the battlefield with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it, equal to the amount of mana spent to cast it. So it scales kind of like with Merith, uh, kind of like what Merith did uh, a couple years ago. Uh, also reads, whenever Gyrus attacks, you may exile target creature card with lesser power from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that card that's tapped and attacking. Exile the token at the end of combat. And it is a 0-0 zero, zero out of the box. But when you, even if you just pay three mana for it, he's a 3-3. Three, three. And when you pay more stuff like with commander tax, like, he's got a very flexible power level, which is... I think really, really neat. He kind of reminds me of a fusion between Alesha, who smiles at death, who revives tiny creatures from your graveyard, and Grenzo, Dungeon Warden, who also allows you to change what his exact mana cost will be so that he can get you free stuff from the bottom of your library. This is pretty interesting to me. And I might be just saying that because I have bias towards reanimator strategies, but you know. Yeah, I, I didn't love the fact that the creatures get exiled at first, or the tokens get exiled, excuse me. But I think for power level reasons, that makes complete sense. And I agree that the Alesha comparison is really apt. I think it, it, Gyrus plays a lot like that, like a Jund Alesha, I think. Right. And, I mean, speaking of commanders that work well with doubling season, that's another pretty cool thing. Not only would doubling season, I mean, you know, doubling season is good in EDH, another newsflash. But, like, that would double the number of counters that you get on him so he can revive larger and larger stuff from your graveyard. But if you do manage to double any of the tokens that you get from the graveyard, those tokens will actually stick around, which I think is really, really interesting. He, Gyrus himself, has the exile clause, which means the token copy doesn't have that exile me clause. So even though that token might go away, if you were to make a copy of your acidic slime and you have a parallel lives in play, like, that would actually get to stick around. And that's where you can get a whole lot of really, really cool value from Gyrus. And I think you will. I think that's going to be a very common thing you do see with this deck is people with their paralyzed or doubling season in play trying to abuse that and getting to keep the extra tokens. That's going to be a main strategy to win with with this deck. Right. And you've also got stuff like uh, you can pull tricks out of the hat like Felden of the Third Path did. He's got a pretty similar ability to this where he makes a token that is a copy of a creature in your graveyard. But he uses stuff like Sundial of the Infinite to end your turn before that that whole you know end of combat thing would happen so you'd get to keep the card there too like that's also a pretty neat trick yeah I, my only thing is i wish it weren't so on flavor uh so that he you know he's kind of eating the dead and you know reanimating them because it's only a one-time shot that you get to reanimate any given creature which that kind of sucks but the effect itself is is very powerful and like you guys said if you can help it out a little bit with parallel lives or doubling season or whatever the effect yeah, it just gets better and better and better. Yeah, those restrictions definitely breed creativity. If you could revive the same creature and over and over again, it might get a little dull. So I do kind of like that he forces you to do something different every time. It's really wild, which is perfect for Jund. We've got one more Jund commander, though, and that's Thantis the Warweaver. Dana, let us know about this creepy-looking spider person. Thantis the Warweaver costs six mana, three, and Jund for a legendary creature spider has vigilance and reach, like we're used to with spiders, at least for the reach portion. Um, it says, all creatures attack each combat if able. So that includes your own creatures. And whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Thantis the Warweaver. And Thantis is a 5-5 five, five out of the command zone. What are your first thoughts about Thantis? I've heard some mixed opinions about this guy. 
I, I like the card a lot, and I immediately started kind of mentally brewing things like, okay, if you use, you know, Koskin Falls, people can't attack you. Or if you're using something like, you know, Defense Grid or what's the the one with the goblin on the art where only one creature can attack you. Crawl Space. Crawl Space. There we go. I, I, was, I was picturing the art in my head, but I couldn't think of the card. But man, six mana is really, really unfortunate there. Six mana is definitely a lot, but I do like the ability but just particularly, I enjoy that she's like, this is Jun's version of politics and it's just make everyone hit each other. Like Santis, she's doing some really interesting work there. It's like having an avatar of slaughter in the command zone or just casting disrupt decorum all the time because she also deters other people from looking your way since she gets bigger and bigger. Like, dang, that's, I mean, yes, she's expensive, but also the later in the game that you cast her, the more likely there are to be other creatures in play that you want your opponents to be attacking each other with. Yeah, I, I like those two cards that you pointed out between Disrupt Decorum and Avatar of Slaughter. Just the the chaos that ensues. I mean, you, you can kind of see that that raccoon meme with just the dance, puppets dance, uh, <laughs> that that type of effect where you just kind of get to sit back and watch watch the chaos happen. And you're, you know, it's not people can't attack you, but they're going to get punished by putting counters on, you know, on your commander. Right. And your deck will be probably built to most benefit from the chaos as well. So, yes, chaotic things will be happening, but they'll be happening to you way less than everybody else. Yeah, I especially like, I mean, I have a Kaneos and Tiro deck. I do like playing around with some political things. And something like Sylvan Offering jumps out to me as a really good example of a card for Thantis because it gives you a bunch of creatures, but it also gives someone else a bunch of creatures. And then Thantis is like, now you must hit each other, which is, I mean... That's exactly what you want, especially if you can find some way to make it so that other players have difficulty blocking each other. Like, I don't know. One of the things that I've recently been seeing in a lot of the games that I play is that people have a tendency to sort of sit back comfortably. And I like a commander that comes in and disrupts that. I like something that makes people actually like force each other to be more aggressive because a lot of times like you're just not prepared for it. I mentioned on a previous cast that I was playing a deck that was you know, pretty relaxed. I feel like I've got a good set of gradual value engine going on here. And then someone played Valduk and took me almost immediately cut my life in half. And I was just, oh, suddenly I'm in significant danger and I got to be on my guard. I have to change my whole game plan around. And I think Thantis has a little bit of that going around. So I think she's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I, I want to, I actually, this is one of the, the, the commanders that even if I'm not going to build it now, I don't think, I really do want to play against this deck and just see how it goes. Because I think I can really... I can see how somebody who's clever and is digging deep for cards can build a d deck where they really take advantage of this ability and it really kind of screws over everybody else. Mm -hmm. But with that said, I'm hardcore building Lord Windgrace. I've been wanting that guy forever, both as a character and as a jund place to put all of my land stuff like Omnath and Gitrog. Like, hardcore, easy, Lord Windgrace is my favorite of these three. I think that's fair. <laughs> it sounds like we're all on board the Windgrace train. Yeah, for sure. Yep. We do have a handful of other sort of bonus commanders, though. Each one of these comes in the deck. They're not playable as the main commanders right out of the box because they all lack at least one of the colors from that actual uh, specific set. So, for example, we've got Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor, from the Izzet deck. And the reason it's there is because it makes a whole bunch of tokens. This is another really interesting commander. It's Mono Red, 3-mana Mono Red Human Knight. It's a 3-3. 
And she says, whenever Varchild Betray of Kjeldor deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1-1 red survivor creature tokens. Survivors your opponents control can't block, and they can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. And when Varchild leaves the battlefield, you gain control of all survivors. This is another pretty weird pseudo-political commander here. What do you guys think of Varchild? I like it a lot. It's a very cool card. I really like how they're they're playing around with mono-red commanders in general. As we know, Joey pointed out earlier, Valduk just, it's very different from what Monored's been doing. This is just continuing that trend. I, I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I don't, again, like this is not what I'm going to play, but that's a really, really unique, weird design that I want to see somebody else build something cool with and be impressed by the strange things they do with the deck. Right. I mean, even if you've got Varchild in like that Brutaclad deck, like that that's what's fascinating to me about Varchild. It says when it leaves the battlefield, you gain control of all survivors, not when she dies. So that's really powerful. If you hit anyone, even just a couple times, you could get nine more tokens back on your side of the battlefield, which really helps repair any like, you know, a feeling of uh, loss of card advantage that you might have had because your commander was removed. Like you actually get a ton of tokens. And in the meantime, before you get those tokens, like those tokens can't do anything for you. They can't block. And they they can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. Like those survivor tokens are just more political gas to play for your opponents to attack each other too. I think there's a lot of really cool places Varchild can go. And at the helm of the deck, I think that's also pretty compelling too. Yeah, the guys over at Command Time, actually, they had a pretty uh, pretty spicy little setup uh, for Varchild. Uh, repercussion along with Blasphemous Act. Uh, granted, you can <gasps> get blown so mean. out. You that's can get so blown up. Oh yeah, it, like it can backfire really, really quick. Um, like somebody, you know, say you cast Blasphemous Act and they blow up your your Varchild, then you're going to be hurting pretty bad. But the upside is so crazy, and I just loved the second that I saw that tweet. So nice right. job, guys. Whoever runs your Twitter account. A plus. Because, because you'd give other people creature tokens and repercussion says whenever damage is dealt to a creature, it deals that much damage to the player as well. So you'd give other people tokens. Blasphemous Act, that's so mean. Okay. Dome them for 13. That's, that's fantastic. 13 yeah. per survivor. That's, ooh, ooh, that's, that is spicy right there. We got a few more uh, other bonus commanders from these decks too. So Dana, how about you let us know about Arixmethy's Slumbering Isle? Arixmethy's Slumbering Isle costs two and Simic, so two green blue for a legendary creature, Kraken. It enters the battlefield tapped with five slumber counters on it. And as long as Arixmethes has a slumber counter on it, it's a land. It's not a creature. Whenever you cast a spell, you, rem- you may remove a slumber counter, and it taps for Simic. So it taps for a green and a blue, and it's a 12-12 Kraken. I'm sorry, did you just tell me that this is a 4-mana 12-12 commander? This is a 4-mana 12-12 commander that, when it's not a commander, is tapping for 2-mana. you got an explosive vegetation in your command zone, and later it rewards you by becoming a 12-12 Sea creatures, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's really solid. My only complaint about Arixmethes, and and I do like this a lot. I think this is super inventive and an awesome new Simic commander. Like It does something that I haven't quite seen other Simic commanders do. We get a whole lot of, oh, you know, Tatiova, draw your cards, and Thrasios, draw your cards, and, you know, Zagana, draw your cards. Arixmethes is actually rewarding you with a huge, big creature. But my worry about Arishmethes is that it dies to Tectonic Edge. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit rough for me. Not all the time, but most of the time, yeah. Tectonic Edge <laughs> is going to snag it. 
It's like, and it's also yeah. actually the only land you have to cast. Funny <laughs> right, enough. That's pretty interesting. Because Dryad Arbor, you don't even have to cast. You just play it as your land for the turn. It seems also pretty neat to me in, you know, if you are able to put it in another deck that has cards like uh, Vampire Hexmage or Sun Cleanser, which allow you to remove counters from things, that also could be pretty fascinating there. I think there are even a couple of blue spells that allow you to transfer counters from one creature to another. Maybe they hit slumber counters, maybe they don't. I'm not quite sure, but like there are some ways to manipulate this that I think are pretty interesting as well. Although for the record, proliferate is a bad idea here. Well, well you, proliferate you is that, a terrible idea. I, I actually talked to a, an Atraxa player this weekend who was talking about this card saying, oh, that's a really great four mana rock. It's much tougher to blow up than you know an actual mana rock. And I'm just going to keep putting counters back on it with Atraxa so it stays a land that taps for two mana. Yeah, you know, that's not terrible, actually. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but I'm like, well, eh, I can see, but I can see it. Like, I, I get the logic. Yeah, it's got a nice versatility there in that deck if you need a land or if you decide that you need to hit someone with a gigantic 12-12 Kraken person. That seems good. So, Rick Smithies doesn't quite catch my interest, but you know what does? Eureka the Tiger Shadow. Matt, you want to let us know about Mariko? So Eureka the Tiger Shadow is one in Demir, so blue-black, for a 1-3 human ninja. Uh, has Commander Ninjutsu, which is a very unique ability. Um, so you, you can pay, basically, a blue and a black, return an unblocked attacker you control to your hand, put this card on the battlefield from your hand or the command zone, tapped and attacking. So already confusing a little bit right there. Uh, but... <laughs> right. Whenever I'm, really ninja- tickled. I'm tickled by the notion of commander ninjutsu, just of a commander, but like, I, I love it. I love that we've got a ninja commander, and I'm so sorry to have interrupted you, but I am tickled. Like, are we going to see other abilities that have commander in front of them? Like we're commander used to trample you- or commander, nin- like commander vigilance or, or commander flying or like, I'm just, I think it's a little funny to be phrased that way, but it's really awesome. Commander yeah. banding. Well, I mean, commander banding. Com- commanding. Anyway. Uh, but, but also, so yeah. while, since Joey, you know, was giggling. Quite a bit. Uh, there is more text to Yuriko. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, so whenever Ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Sold. Absolutely no sold. It, it reverse bobs. It, like, yes, that's brilliant. <laughs> this is such a good card. It's a card that makes me giggle, but this is such a good card. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very creative. I, I, I like that it's... It's tribal, but it, it, it gives a lot of different reach. So you're only hitting for one damage, Commander, um, but you're dealing a lot more damage just because you're drawing cards. And you're also in colors that have access to um, you know, a few changelings, and you have access to things like Conspiracy to make your creatures one type, or Arcane Adaptation to turn whatever the you know, evasive creatures you're swinging through with into ninjas for card drawing ability. So... Just by being dimmer, it also gives you a lot of options to work around the fact that there's only like 15 or so ninjas in the game. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to run this as an arcane adaptation conspiracy xenograph deck. I'll just run yeah. really good stuff and then all of my stuff is ninjas. And, and like that's what's so fascinating about this. It says whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player. It's not whenever one or more ninja creatures you control. For each like, one, right. Yeah, each for one. Each. That's so powerful. That's so many cards. And as long as you've got some, you know, good stuff on top of your deck, like just drawing cards wins you the game. Are you kidding? That's so good. Yeah, it's very it's good. It's kind of a fair, it's kind of a fair Edric in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, but the up, the upside is so crazy though. Like being able to deal damage based on you know those cards that you draw. That's that's a little better than Edric, I would say. I mean, Edric is every creature, not just your ninjas, but there are ways to work around it. Like either way, yeah. both those decks like, make some unblockable dudes and go to town. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you know a bunch of people were talking about uh, one of the next commanders we'll talk about as being legacy playable, which I think was. This sounds really mean, but it was kind of laughable. But if there's a legacy playable card here, uh, I think Eureka is probably it. You know, being able to set up a, you know, draw force of will off of Eureka's trigger, that's a lot of damage in a 20 life format. And then you're also getting a counter spell in your hand. So I think the power is there. Only having three toughness it might hurt it a little bit. But I mean, for commander purposes, this card is is very, very fun. It's, it's Demir in a way that even I would, you know, want to play it. Now, here's a question. Commander Ninjutsu, that's an activated ability, not an alternative cost. Is that right? Correct. So does that mean that the Commander Ninjutsu ability evades command tax? I believe so. I believe it does, yes. All right, hopefully we haven't steered people wrong, but if that's the case, this card just gets better and better. I totally love it. Yeah, don't quote us on that, everybody. We're we're not 100% sure, but if that is the case, then whoa. Even if it's not, there's so much value here. Yeah. Yeah, I looked, actually looked it up, and now I've forgotten, but I, I'm fairly yeah, certain it is, because what? On the card, it, yeah, it doesn't say cast on, on the yeah. on the reminder text, just says put it into play. Right, like, I just, oh, I, I totally love Yuriko, and so far of the bonus commanders that aren't the full colors of each of the decks, like, Yuriko's really catching my eye. I don't even necessarily want to do Ninja Tribal, I just think she's excellent, excellent value. Yeah, and since it's an ability, too, it's uncounterable, even. I just thought of that, so... <laughs> Yeah. Matt, you did mention that we've got one more commander here, and that's Zancha Sleeper Agent. So do you want to tell us about Zancha? I can. So Zancha Sleeper Agent is one in Rakdos, so black and red for a 5-5. Five, five. Woo! 5-5 five, five for three guys for a legendary minion. Uh, but as Zancha Sleeper Agent enters the battlefield, an opponent of your choice gains control of it. Oh. Zancha also reads... Uh, Zancha attacks each combat if able and can't attack its owner or planeswalkers its owner controls. Mm. So you're safe from getting beat down by your own Zancha. Uh, it also has an activated ability of pay three mana. Uh, Zancha's controller, not the owner, but the controller, loses two life and you draw a card. Any player may activate this ability. Speaking of politics, huh? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you don't quite think that this one's legacy playable, but what do you think about it in Commander? In Commander, I think it's spicy i don't know if i would build it myself just at, with with zancha at, at the helm but man it, it's it's intriguing the more that i've read it at first when i saw it i was like this is this is silly this is whatever but the more that i think about it the more it's kind of growing on me i don't really have anything bad to say about it but i don't know just personally how much that i have to say about it that makes me want to play it it's definitely a lore win um storyline wise if you know anything about zancha um, it has a really nice, you know, callback in how it functions to the card Sleeper Agent from, I think, 10th edition. Mm-hmm. Kind of functions similarly. So, like, fourth those wise it's just a huge home run. I don't know if there's enough. I, at least I don't know what I would do with the deck to build it. But it's, again, like so many of these commanders in this set, it's just a super intriguing card that I like a lot. Like, I... It's easy to just keep repeating yourself because that's true for all these commanders. But, I mean, it is. They're just all really, really nice designs. Congratulations to the design team here because 
almost every one of these cards is intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. The design is unique and intriguing. I I, I will 100% agree on that. But I think all of these are super interesting. They just having the the, the team that they had did to, to put this set together, they did a very, very good job just making everything unique, do something that hasn't been done before, and then making sure that everything is, is different enough from all the other commanders within that deck. That's definitely true. And... A second ago, Dana, you referred to Zandra as a good lore win. And I'm like, this isn't from lore win. But aside from that, <laughs> boo. I actually really like Zandra, particularly because like this has to hit your opponents. And that kind of goes back to the, the Jund politics, like people just hit each other thing that I mentioned earlier with Thantis. And I like that. I mean, this is a 5-5. Five five. That's commander damage coming at other opponents. And those opponents can punish the person that you gave this to by making them lose life and draw cards. Like anyone who gets infinite mana can instantly eliminate the person who's controlling Zancho, which is really, really intense. Not only that, but like you don't necessarily have ways to make this unblockable in these colors, except that you do have ways to just kill off anything that might get in Zantra's way, which would keep it alive on that opponent's side of the board, which I think is really cool. Like you can just chaos warp or curtains call or go for the throat or all whole bunch of different stuff to make sure that Zantra's always got a clean path to go and hit more people. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by Zantra here too. I think Eureka, the tiger shadow probably wins out as my favorite of the bonus commanders. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's a powerful card. It has kind of a clear build path that's a build path that probably doesn't necessarily look like anything else, and it's using weird cards no one else is using. So that's nice. You get to kind of be a little bit hipster about it while also understanding how you're going to build the deck. Um, it's a tribe everyone has always wanted. I, I, it just hits every base I think you want from a commander. That's fair. All right, so... We, every time that we do a set review, we make a bet about which commander we think will be the most built from this upcoming set. Let's reprise that here. Do you guys want to make a bet about what we think the most built commander will be from these new decks? Absolutely. I'm on board. I lo- uh, you know me and my gentleman's bets. Yeah, Matt, I'm really just hoping that I beat Matt here. So, Matt, how about you go first and tell us which of these individual commanders you think will get the most decks on EDH Rec? Which of these individual commanders? So I'm really tempted just because I think Eureka has such a unique effect and and is going to do some really cool stuff. I don't think, however, Eureka is going to be the most built just because I think think Estrid is going to be the most built commander. The, the enchantments, the Bant colors, it's the one that I think I'm personally the most excited for. You know, I was doing the EDH RecCast Twitter account, and I was asking, you know, if, if you guys out there, everybody could build one commander of these, who would it be? Everybody's response was across the board. So I think there's not one that's probably going to dominate. That probably means that I'm going to be terribly wrong, and there's going to be the one that does. <laughs> but if I had to bet, you know me as a betting man, uh, I would go with Estrid the Mast as, as the most built commander. See, I do agree that the Bont enchantments are really, really interesting, but I actually think that Tuvasa the Sunlit, the one that draws you cards and gets bigger for each enchantment, mm-hmm. I think that one's going to beat Estrid out and become the most played commander from this new line of decks. I think it's a little more classic into what the typical Enchantress decks tend to like. So I think, I could be wrong, but I think that Tuvasa is going to win out here. But we're apparently focusing really hard onto the Bont Chantress deck. So, Dana, what do you think about most built? Would you say that it comes from the Bont deck too, or maybe another deck? I think the Bont deck is going to be the most built, but I think 
those three commanders are also equally good and interesting. It's going to fight among itself. I could see that. And kind of mm-hmm. split the vote. So I think Eureka is going to wind up maybe taking it as kind of the sleeper pick because it's such a unique thing that nothing else does. And it's not really competing with anything else either. So I think at the end of the day, I think we might see a lot of we might see more Eureka decks than anything else. Alrighty, so we've got our picks. Matt, you're picking Estrid. I'm picking Tuvasa, and Dana is picking Eureka. Next time that we have a set review, we're going to have to check back in and see what those numbers are to see who wins this bet. But those are just the legendary creatures. We've got a couple of other cards from this set that we also think could see a whole lot of popularity here on EDH Rec. So let's run through a handful of those. We've got Windgrace's Judgment here, which naturally I've picked because I love me some green-black. This is a 5-mana Golgari instant that says, For any number of opponents, destroy target non-land permanent that player controls. Full stop. That's it. For each person, you vindicate, and you can do it at instant speed. For 5-mana, I'm I'm putting this into all of my Golgari decks. I love this. This is so good. Instant speed is nuts for being able to hit, you know, 4, 5, however many... You know, whoever's sitting at the table, they're losing something. That's crazy. It isn't on land, but five mana, instant speed, all upside. This card is crazy. I love it. It's like a grasp of fate, but but permanent. And it's so awesome. And we've seen before that green and black is the most built two-color pair combination, according to EDH Rex. So this is going to wind up in a whole lot of stuff. You're going to have to watch your back for Windgrace's Judgment. Yeah, I got to agree. This is just a great removal spell and the people are going to be fighting to get this. This is going to be a tough one to pick up because the person, you know, the people are not going to want to take it out of their Jun deck and a lot of people are going to want it for their existing Golgari decks. So they're going to have to find a way to get one, whether it's by the deck or buying singles. This one's, this is going to be a sought after fought over card. That's for sure. Dana, what do you think of Forge of Heroes, the common land? It doesn't come into play tap, so that's nice. You can just tap it for a colorless mana by default. And then you can tap it to choose target commander that came into play this turn and put a plus one counter on it if it's a creature and a loyalty counter on it if it's a planeswalker. It it only works the turn something came into play, so that's a little bit unfortunate. I think it's good. I just don't think it's good enough. Something really, like I'm like interested Opal, to hear that. Opal, well, Opal Palace scales, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say that. I, I think if you're playing a planeswalker deck, if you're playing Super Friends, it might have a home there because the ability to throw an extra loyalty counter out of the gate is useful but i think if you're not doing super friends i don't think the ability to put additional counter on a creature when it comes into play is worth a colorless slot and it's worth having to spend that mana that so so actually a quick correction forge of heroes only puts a loyalty counter on the card if it was a commander so it's not just oh sorry yes yeah yeah it it has to be a commander to actually get the counter so i mean i think if if that's the case if your planeswalker is in the zone it's probably worth it, but I, I think outside that, it's just not. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Dana. I think since it is pretty much useless outside of Commander, it's going to be pretty cheap to pick up. So if you do want this card, um, you'll be able to, to get them pretty cheap for any deck that you have. I just don't know if it's going to be that impactful. Wow, I'm, I'm interested to hear you guys say this. I feel like it's a total shoe-in for a bunch of, uh, of these, especially the Planeswalker decks. I think Atraxa could make really good use of it too, just because it does give you an extra counter on her right away. But I do see what you're saying about having colorless sources, especially in highly multicolored decks. That can be a bit of a burden sometimes, more than it appears. So I can see your hesitancy. And thankfully, Matt, as you mentioned, it's a common. So if it does end up being you know, pretty good in some decks here and there, then you're definitely going to be able to get a hold of them. 
Yeah, and you can only use you can only use it the turn that the that your commander came into play. So it's not like you can do it every turn and put a counter on them. It's only that turn. So it's yeah, I, I don't know if the upside is is enough. If you're playing like some sort of commander that you want to be casting quite a bit, it might be a little little bit better. Something you might want to consider a little more. But for me, I don't know how many decks I'm going to put it in personally. That makes sense. What do you think about the other colorless card that we've got lined up here, Geode Golem? Geode Golem, on the other hand, I think is sweet. Being able to to cast your commander, uh, so it's a 5-3 with Trample for 5, uh, and it also reads, whenever Geode Golem deals combat damage to a player, you may cast your commander from the command zone without paying its mana costs. You do have to pay any additional costs like command tax, though. I think that is super cool. I think it's kind of the opposite of Forge of Heroes, actually. Being able to cheat mana costs with a 5-3 Trampler, is uh, it's pretty big game. Where would you put this Geode Golem? I can't really make up my mind about what deck I would want to run it in. I think one where you get targeted quite a bit, where you have a commander that's hard to keep on the battlefield, like Rafik-type decks, something like that. I mean, Rafik obviously isn't near as powerful as he was five years ago or so, but just anything that has a target on its back, you, you want to be able to cheat costs, or just something that's just super expensive in general. If you're playing something that, you know, maybe was a little too expensive to be your commander reliably, this gives you a workaround that's pretty fun. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I Heck, I even think that maybe even like Omnath might like this as a way to, to escape because Omnath isn't cheap to cast, yeah. but he's a good way to cheat around that. Yeah, the, the bigger the commander has as a casting cost, the more interesting this is. I think particularly if you're in colors that have haste where you can drop this when no one's ready for it, swing with haste and then play that, you know, 10-mana commander for only paying, you know, a two-mana tax on it. I think there's really specific decks where this is going to be a bomb, but it, it's not a universal card, I don't think. Um, I've got a friend who's got a Croson Stonebrow hero deck, I believe, where all creatures of Trample get plus two, plus two. He's like, oh, it'll go in that deck, because why not? It's going to be buffed if Croson's out, and if Croson isn't out, it makes Croson come out. <laughs> it makes Croson buff him, yeah. Right, so I, I get that. I think there's decks that want it, but I don't think it's universal at all can i tell you my favorite place for geode golem go for yeah it. partner decks i'm pretty sure that this ability applies to both of your commanders so if you get a swing in with geode golem pretty sure that you get to cast both your partners for free mm, i'm not sure but if if that's the case then yeah that, that's even more upside for it i i really like geode golem i think like dana said there's some commanders that just don't want this but there's going to be quite a few that just man even if it's five mana that you get for free, that's still a pretty great discount. Yeah, the, yeah. the ones that want it, you're going to be super annoyed to have to, to go against this. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Speaking of annoying, have you guys seen Treasure Nabber? I've seen it. Heard of it. <laughs> it took my soul ring. It took your soul <laughs> ring. Treasure Nabber is a three mana, three two goblin rogue with just a crazy cool ability whenever an opponent taps an artifact for mana gain control of that artifact until the end of your next turn and i feel the need to point out this flavor text here the law of gibsies backsies is respected by every noble pursuer of shiny things Treasure every Haber noble art, every noble <laughs> pursuer all pursuits of shiny things are noble matt it stole your soul ring literally in the art this card looks bonkers cool to me not just because it hits soul rings but also because it can mess with just all of your opponent's mana rocks oh i'm sorry is that your gilded lotus over there mine now for a turn turns this your is... soul ring into a stole ring the stole ring <laughs> my goodness what do you guys I'll think be here all week uh, this just ruins strategies like there's there's decks where this just ruins your day it yeah. makes paradox engine decks pretty crappy no that's 
Oh, that's mean. Yeah. That's actually very mean. <laughs> I got to live up to my title, man. Yeah, I love this. This is a great version of Red, quote, ramp for sure, because it just feels very in flavor. I'm taking your thing. I'm going to be using it as well. And it, it's each opponent. Whenever any opponent taps an artifact for mana, if they've just casually got a signet or two lying around, you could get a really big mana boost on your next turn. Yeah. And if you've got something like like Brea, where you know your ability to sacrifice artifacts just out of the command zone, like, hey, thanks for giving me the free fodder that you're not going to get back either. right yeah i've seen a lot of people talking about playing uh kark clan ironworks with this so you tap you know tap their stuff for mana then sacrifice it for more mana so they don't don't get it back there's lots of pretty cool stuff you can do here right there are a whole bunch of decks that rely upon mana rocks to ramp up in the same way that green does so i i think this is just a bonkers cool card Speaking of artifacts, though, we've also got Vidalcan Humiliator. This is a 4-mana 3-4 Vidalcan Wizard with Metalcraft. Whenever it attacks, if you control 3 or more artifacts, creatures your opponents control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1 until end of turn. Please note, that's all creatures your opponents control. All of them turn into 1-1s, no matter who you're attacking. I like it. That's really annoying. (laughs) You're talking to the person who plays Humility in as many decks as possible. Um, oh, you're the worst. You're oh, a mean man, Mr. Morgan. It's true. But, but man, I, I really like Vidalcan Humiliator. It's a really, really cool way to play around with that type of effect in blue. Yeah, I, I think it's super fun. It's super cool. What a great way to ensure that your army of stuff is going to be able to get through effectively. Yeah, what a way to ensure that your Geode Golem connects and you can cast your commander, then <laughs> make them all 1-1s. Or helps your ninjas swing through or helps. I mean, it just does so much stuff. It's just so useful, you know, shutting down indestructible or, you know, turning off annoying abilities. It just does all the things. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this card. Yeah, and I don't think you necessarily have to be artifact dedicated for this to be a powerful creature. Like Metalcraft, a lot of blue decks will just accidentally turn on. So right. the Duck and Humiliator looks like it's going to show up a whole lot to me in a lot of these blue decks. We've got another pretty weird card, though, called Boreas Charger. Dana, can you let us know about this weird Pegasus guy? Boreas Charger is a Pegasus for three mana, two and a white. Uh, has flying, of course, and it says when Boreas Charger leaves the battlefield, choose an opponent who controls more lands than you. Search your library for a number of planes cards equal to the difference, reveal them, put one of them onto the battlefield tapped and the rest into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it isn't just lands to hand like we usually see with these kind of, uh, you know, equaling lands effects from land tax or tither or whatever. This actually does ramp you a land when it leaves the battlefield. It's a leaves the battlefield trigger, as we kind of mentioned before. It's not a death trigger necessarily, although that will also work. But you can blink this to get the effect. And it just says search your library for a number of planes. It doesn't say basic planes. Right. So you can grab... You can grab shock lands or OG duels or even uh, Mistvale planes is an actual plane. So there's a lot of cards you can grab with that as well. That's a really good point. Yeah, it can grab any, just a non-basic planes totally gets you. And yeah, it puts one into play as well. This is pretty unique. It's a really nice equalizing effect. And I think it might be one of the more powerful versions of these effects that we've seen. We've got a bunch of stuff like uh, Gift of Estates and I think Oresco's Explorer is another example. But this Boreas Charger seems really stinking cool to me yeah and you're in white so it's not like you're going to be hard pressed to find any flicker effects either so right and bringing this back with a sun titan or with alesha fits right in there in the two power like there's some really sick places for these i'm really impressed with all of these cards 
So these are some of the non-commander cards that we think could see a whole lot of play in the format, especially, I don't know about you, but I like Treasure Nabber. Heck, I think that that might even be a legacy playable card right there because you're stealing other opponents' moxin whenever they try to tap them. Like, oh, I love all well, you're, those You're cards. talking about vintage here. Get get your format straight, Joseph. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm My apologies. But we've got some other stuff that we kind of want to talk about, too, because there's a handful of new abilities here as well. We've got a new lieutenant cycle. Which I think we hinted at or talked about at some point in a recent show, didn't we? Yeah, we talked about how much mm-hmm. we like the Lieutenant series on our past episode when we were going over all of the past pre-cons. Is there a particular Lieutenant that you guys think might see a whole lot of play? Well, I just want to quick say, first of all, I'm glad to see these back. And I, and I like the fact that they're uncommon because now that kind of makes it feel like this is the kind of thing they're going to be doing every year, maybe. Yeah. So that's good. I would love to see Lieutenants come back every single year. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it. It's a really cool way just to encourage people to play their commanders more often too. It's just, I mean, it's it's all upside with the with this mechanic. I, I think my favorite is Loyal Apprentice. It's a human artificer for two mana, so that's pretty inexpensive for one in a red. It has haste, which is also nice out of the gate for a two one as well. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control your commander, create a one one colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying, and it gains haste. So it I mean it's same cost as a bitter blossom. Token has haste, unlike a Bitter Blossom. It has flying. Thopters are almost always useful. Artifact creatures are almost always useful. It's just a value engine. That, like it, it doesn't need to be in any specific deck, but the decks that care about it really can reap rewards from the synergy. It's just a great card all around. Are you going to put it in your Perforos deck? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the Perforos <laughs> deck I would never build. I mean, for sure, I, 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 would, I would put it in that deck. And I put it in Bray and I put it in. There's just a lot of decks that I think want this card. See, I'm going to see your Loyal Apprentice, but I'm going to raise you a Loyal Unicorn. This is a 4-mana 3-4 Unicorn with Vigilance that says, At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control your commander, you prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. And they gain Vigilance until end of turn. Free attack steps. How do you beat that? Yeah, that's pretty great. It is pretty good. Yeah, I think all these are spicy, though. It's it's really hard for me to pick one. I mean, they're, they're all good. So, Matt, is another lieutenant, is there one that you particularly like? Yeah, I really like Loyal Guardian. Uh, Go figure, Matt picks the green lieutenant creature. It's just a 4-4 with Trample, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, uh, if you control your commander, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. We all know that green doesn't have a hard time making tokens, uh, doubling tokens, doubling counters. Yeah, I I just think it's a really easy way to make your, your whole army really big really fast. Yeah, I I do like all of these. And even though they've been like these are uncommon lieutenants, unlike the previous version of rare lieutenants that we got with things like Thunderfoot Bayloth and whatnot. I mean, I still think there's a lot of power contained in these new lieutenant cycles. Very much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. This isn't the only new mechanic that we've got, though. We also have a series of Commander Storm cards. Is there one that jumps out to you guys among these Commander Storm spells? They're pretty wild. Yeah, and first thing, I think we can quick mention what the Storm ability is. So whatever the spell is, you copy it for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. So, you know, if you've cast it three times, you copy the spell three different times. So that's really, really an interesting mechanic at the very least. They're taking advantage of the weird things that are part of commander and making that into cards, and I am always a fan of them doing that kind of thing. So is there one that jumps out to you? They're pretty bizarre. Yeah, um... I don't know. I think Echo Storm is probably the one that's accidentally the strongest. 
When you cast a spell, copy it for each time you've cast your commander, and you may choose new, new target. So it lets you create a token that's a copy of target artifact. So for five mana, you can make a token copy of, let's say, your soul ring. And make three soul rings seems like it's it's pretty decent for five mana if your commander's been cast three times. And that's kind of the worst case scenario probably for you is copying a soul ring. That's the worst case scenario. You're probably doing okay. Best case scenario is you're making like, you know, three or four copies of a mere battle sphere or something. I think there's a lot of upside in an artifact deck for Echo Storm. Oof, I I do like that one. This especially in that Brutaclad deck, like that's gonna put in a whole ton of work. Yeah, great uh, synergy there with that deck. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued by Fury Storm, though, and it's really strange for me to be talking about the the white unicorn lieutenant and now the uh, the red Commander Storm card. These are not my my colors I'm comfortable with at all. But Fury Storm looks really powerful to me. This is a four mana red instant that says when you cast a spell, copy it for each time you've cast your commander from the commands on this game. Choose new targets. But its actual ability is to copy target instant or sorcery spell, not just any one that you control. You copy any instant or sorcery spell, and you choose new targets for that copy. So right off the bat, this is a four mana reverberate, but if you've cast your commander once, then it reverberates twice. And if you've cast your commander twice that game, then you reverberate three times. Like you can get a ton of value off of that. And it's any one spell. That's that's powerful. Yeah, I think it's gonna be I don't think any of these cards are probably gonna be necessarily expensive. Um, but I think Fury Storm, kind of like what we talked about on the budget episode. You know, those reverberate effects are a really good way to, to have a kind of an equalizer effect, you know, in your cheap decks. And another thing to point out is that this Echo Storm, Fury Storm, Imperial Storm, Skull Storm, all of them, they will work for your partner commanders as well. So if you've cast a Vile Smasher and then a Thrasios, that counts as two commander casts from the command zone for the purposes of these storm cards. So that's another really great place to put them. Yeah, they math out, they math out really really well with partners for sure. That's for sure. And so you named all the you named all the commander storm cards except for the best one, Joey. Oh, what's that? Oh, you missed Genesis Storm, which happens to be the green one because I mean, you you went outside your color scheme, but leave it to me to stick with what's comfortable. <laughs> but Genesis Storm, I think is super cool. It's it's kind of a primal surge type card. It's a sorcery for for 4 and 2 green, and you just reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit a non-land permanent card. Then you put on the battlefield and you repeat that process for every time that you have cast your commander. So, yeah, it's an easy way just to flood the board with, you know, big, fat, stupid creatures that, you know, are ahead of the curve. You know, I, I'm all about cheating things into play, you know, defense of the heart type effects. And this one just goes right into that that line of cards. Hmm. I mean, I do like cheating things into play, but I like cheating them into play from the graveyard. So Genesis Storm... I don't know about that. I still think Fury Storm's better, but I understand why you're so excited about it. All of these cards look really bonkers weird, but also really bonkers fun, which is exactly what I like seeing from new cards. Fun, yeah, fun is a really good way to put it. I Just the way that they're encouraging people to play their commanders more and more every year, uh, just more incentive to, to you know either make a commander-centric deck or just play you know those creatures that you know motivate people to play the format in general. I think it's just a a good way to to keep that process going. Yeah, for sure. This is just a very exciting set. Everything about it feels good from these new cards. And I think new players in particular are really going to enjoy cracking these open and seeing a lot of these cards. 
All right, guys, I know we're running long, but we've got one more segment here, and that's Challenge the Stats. We're each going to pick a card from one of these decks that we think might be left in as a result of the precon effect, that whole effect that we talked about in our first episode, where sometimes people leave stuff in these decks when maybe they deserve to be taken out. So, Matt, get us started with Challenging the Stats. So I think that Isolated Watchtower is a card. So let me read the card real quick for you guys. So it's a land that uh, taps for a colorless, then you pay two. Tap it and scry one. Uh, reveal the top card of your library. Then if it's a basic land card, reveal that way. Put on the battlefield tapped. Activate this ability only if an opponent controls at least two more lands than you. I am not sold on this card. I know it's kind of a good way for Boros to catch up, get some lands and all that. It's kind of a different scrying sheets type of effect. I just don't think paying three mana is, is worth this effect, especially because you have to be playing so many basic lands for this to actually happen or just a lot of top deck manipulation. Just the effect, I think, if it were maybe a scry two or a little bit more, some or look at the top five, whatever, something like that to make it a little easier to trigger. Uh, as is, you have to be playing a lot of basics, and I think a lot of people are going to play it because they think, oh, well, it's ramp, but you can only do it if you're already being outpaced as well. So if you're ahead of the game, you don't want this card. Like green decks, you should not play this in any green deck, period. Um, you have better ways to ramp, more reliable, I think this card's going to get left on a lot of decks, and I just, I am not really sold on it. Dang. Uh, you know, I think that's fair. Dana, how about yours? I have I have two um, that are both being, they're both reprints here. Vow of Flight and Vow of Wildness. And they both kind of function similarly. They're enchantments, auras that have enchant creature, and they do a thing that, you know, give a plus two, plus two, and flying in the came of, case of flight, and plus three, plus three, and trample in the case of wildness. But they also say that creature can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. So I, I kind of get the logic on these cards um, when they were designed, but these are kind of a relic from back in the day when I felt like the people that were designing a lot of commander cards didn't really understand commander. And if you're someone who doesn't understand commander, I, I get why that makes sense. You say, oh, well, you know, why, why remove a creature when you can give it, when you can make, when you can buff it and make it so it can't attack you, so it's going to hit somebody else. Um, so th that logic makes sense if you've never played Commander and you just had the game explained to you. But when you've played Commander, you kind of realize you don't want to just buff that horrifying creature off across the field because it's doing other horrifying things. It's not a Craw Worm that's like just a 7-7. It's an Elish Norn that's keeping you from playing any utility creatures or it's a Sun Titan that every turn is bringing something back. That doesn't solve any of your problems. So I think people are going to leave these cards in the deck, and they almost just have no place in Commander. They are relics from a design time when these were these decks were made of people who didn't really understand how the game got played, and they don't really do anything at all, even maybe in a group hug deck, but they're going to stay in there. There's a thousand of both of the two of them already, and we're, that number is going to go up, and it shouldn't. Uh, how dare you, Dana? You and your hatred for group hug. I <laughs> I mean, I do kind of agree that they probably don't belong in that deck, but I don't hate the cards. I think that they're actually kind of fun. But I mean, yeah, you're definitely right that they shouldn't stay in that particular precon at all. For my challenging the stats, I'm going to be talking about Enchanter's Bane, which I've seen a lot of people hyped up for, but which I don't think is very good. This is a two-mana red enchantment that says that the beginning of your end step, target enchantment deals damage equal to its converted mana cost to its controller unless that player sacrifices it. A lot of people immediately saw this card and they were really hype about it because it could be enchantment removal in red. 
The problem is that it's not. First of all, if Enchanter's Bane is the only enchantment on the battlefield, you have to target it with itself, which means that you're going to be dealing damage to yourself, or you'll have to sacrifice it, which then you've wasted a card. Not great value. But more importantly, a lot of the enchantments that we see played according to EDH rec, they tend to be pretty low cost, and I kind of wouldn't mind paying the life to get them. It's kind of a just going to turn out to be the equivalent of a two-man enchantment that maybe does like three-ish damage to an opponent on each of your turns. For example, one of the most popular enchantments that we see in the format is Phyrexian Arena or Aristic Study. There's also Sylvan Library. Heck, one of the other most popular enchantments that we see in the format is Aura Shards, which is going to kill the Enchanter's Bane no problem. I feel like if someone's got one of those enchantments, Ghostly Prison, Propaganda, all these really super common enchantments, they're not going to mind the three damage at all. So I'm not sure that that deserves to stay in the deck that's pretty fair yeah i think I, th I think people's amazement with this card also left me a little bit perplexed i just don't see how it's going to manage to do the thing it's designed to do yeah i think it's i think it's a, a nice play on how red can actually deal with enchant enchantments or at least try to discourage people from playing them but like like you said joey it's going to backfire quite a bit too and i don't think it's really worth it yeah which is unfortunate i actually really dig the design i just think that it's maybe a little flashier than it will end up being efficient and that's sort of my only problem with it but with that said i mean even if we're criticizing a handful of these cards here and there like we talked about at the beginning of the show all of these commanders especially a whole bunch of these new cards these are some of the most exciting new cards that we've seen in a commander product and i'm excited to get a lord wind grace or an amanatu or a yannette like I'm excited to play with these guys. Tanos, Estrid, Tuvasa, which will become the most popular. I'm sure of it, Matt. I will beat you in that bet. Like, these just look fantastic to me. I'll agree that they're all fantastic, but I won't agree that Tuvasa is going to get played more. That's just... <laughs> your track record speaks for itself. Hey, oh, hey. Oh. I'm going to win one of them. Come on now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on board. I mean, we've said it a bunch of times. I'm going to say it one last time. These are just all great brand new cards, and the design team did their job and did it as well as they've ever done it. I'm just thrilled. Absolutely. And with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We like hearing from you guys and haven't gotten an email from everybody for, for about a week or so. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Send us some some ideas, um, some feedback. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, especially which commander you guys think will be the most popular out of all of these new ones. Dana, how about you? You can find me on the Twitter bird at Dana Roach, and you can listen to me every week talk about commander for another hour on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can follow the EDH Rec and EDH Rec cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDH Rec gets 5,000 likes and when EDH Rec cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. As Matt mentioned, you can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight session, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> I I love moose to death, but you, when you think of the word bumpkin, like that is him. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
He's a pumpkin just, dog. Yeah, just... I'm gonna do my own thing and love everybody, and I'm not too smart, but I got a whole lot of love to give. <laughs> <laughs>